Not too long ago, I had the pleasure of uh, baptizing Amanda, and we were just talking about that, I think it was last night, and, and boy, that water was so cold, but it was good. It was uh, it was a, a pleasure and a privilege to get to baptize her, and it, it's a, a, a privilege to baptize anybody, and soon we're going to be having some more baptisms, and I think, I think that's just, I think it's fantastic. And uh, that's what our text is really going to be about today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, so go ahead and, and turn there if you would, Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to start out in verse 11 in just a moment. Now our focus today is not so much baptism in general, but rather a specific event. Uh, you might remember that John the Baptist was Jesus' forerunner. He went before him and he proclaimed the message of repentance, and he was preparing people for the coming Messiah. Now he wasn't called the Baptist because he went to a Baptist church. He wasn't called the Baptist because he was associated with or affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. Rather, he was called the Baptist because he was baptizing people as they repented of their sin. Now, one day, uh, John is out in the Jordan River. He's baptizing people. And here comes Jesus to be baptized by John. And that's the passage that we're going to look at today. We're going to pick up back in verse 11. Even though, if you were here last week, you, you might remember some of this because we looked at John the Baptist in particular. And um, and so verse 11 is kind of backing up into what we covered last week, but it does tie into what we're going to talk about today. So if you would, stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 3, and we'll pick up in verse 11. Uh, John is speaking here. He says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permitted at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Thank you. Please have a seat. Now the first thing that strikes me as I, as I read this in, in the context that we read it, is that, um, and we looked at this last week, but John's baptism was one of repentance. In other words, John was preaching a, 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 a very judgment-oriented message. He said, you must repent or you're going to be judged by God. And so people were hearing that message, they were repenting of their sin, and they were coming to him for baptism. They were, they were feeling that conviction of sin, and they repented. And that's, that's really what's necessary for salvation today, too. A person must feel conviction of their sin, they must repent of it in order to be saved. Now this was a big deal, especially for the Jews, because uh, by and large they thought they were in good with God because they were Abraham's descendants. They thought that because they had Abraham as their father, he was the father of the faithful, that they were in good with God. They thought, and in fact some of the rabbis taught, that the things that were said about Abraham apply not only to him, but also to his offspring. So if you read in the book of Genesis, it said Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, many of the Jews said, that applies to me. He was so righteous that I'm righteous because I'm one of his descendants, 
and therefore they felt no need to repent by and large. So when John came onto the scene and, and he was preaching and, and these Jewish people were recognizing their sin against God and they were repenting, that was a big deal. Now, uh, it's in this context that Jesus comes to be baptized by John. And the question is, why does he do that? Isn't that really the question? Have you ever wondered why on earth did Jesus get baptized? Because when you think about it, John's baptism was one of repentance. So why would Jesus be baptized? Now we're going to deal with that just a little bit. And, and what I've, what I've uh, found out as I've studied the Bible is that sometimes when you come to a puzzling passage, and if you deal honestly with the Scripture, there are some passages that are kind of tough to understand. And what I've found is that when you come to a text that you don't understand, it's sometimes helpful to say, this is what it does not mean. You may never be fully satisfied that you're sure what it does mean, but if you can say, well, I know it does not mean this, this, or this, that kind of gives you parameters in which to operate. So we're going we're gonna to look at that just a little bit. What does his baptism not mean? Well, we know his baptism does not mean that he... It is not symbolizing he's repenting of sin. Why? Because Jesus was sinless. I mean, he's the Son of God. Jesus didn't have any sin. You remember later on in life, he got, to, he got into a conversation with some, uh, some Jewish leaders. And they were, they were always after him about something. He said, which of you convicts, com, convicts me of sin? Even his enemies couldn't point anything out uh, that he had done wrong. And, and this is really the reason that John at first refused to baptize him. How would you feel if Jesus came to you and said, you need to baptize me? We'd be doing the same thing as John, right? I think you got the wrong person there, Jesus, because I'm a sinner. You're not. You need to be baptizing me. And that's what John said. He recognized that Jesus was a righteous person. And so if Jesus is sinless, he had no reason to be baptized like the other people. So we know one thing it does not mean. That's that Jesus had sinned, that he was repenting, and those things. So why did he get baptized? We might be tempted to say, to set an example. Okay, let's go home. Right? Now that's part of it, but that's not all that's in this that's in this text. We're not going to cover everything that's symbolized in, in what he was doing, but we are going to look at quite a bit. Now the first thing that's, that we see, the first reason he was uh, baptized is in verse 15, looking at what it says. Jesus himself tells us why he's baptized. But Jesus answering said to him, Permitted at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. So the reason that Jesus is baptized was to fulfill all righteousness. Don't you, don't you feel like you understand it all now? I read that and I was like, what? You know, because he doesn't really explain it. And then as I got to digging into to, uh, the text a little bit, I, I kind of I, I discovered some things. First, we need to realize that the biblical writers do not use the same words in the same way in different books. Their context determines their usage. And so like Paul, when he talks about righteousness, many times he's talking about a, a believer standing before God. We, we, we might call it justification. It's a positional righteousness. And what the Bible says is that when we get saved, Christ's righteousness is credited to our account. We are positionally righteous before God. 
The problem is we don't practice that righteousness on a daily basis, do we? We all sin. And that's what sanctification is all about. That's another big Bible word. But that just means that God works in our lives so that we start to do more in practice what we already are in position. Okay, we start to, God works in our hearts and our lives so that we begin to want the things that God wants. We begin to hate the things that God hates. And, and we have to recognize we're never going to be sinless. But as we grow in Christ, our goal is to be sinning less. Okay, so we are positionally righteous. That's the way Paul oftentimes uses the word righteousness. However, that's not the way Jesus is using the word righteousness here. Because righteousness can also mean acts or deeds or, or doing things that are pleasing to God. Now, those are related, obviously. But it's keeping all that the Father commands and instructs. And that's the way that Jesus is using it here. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you'll not come across a passage that says the Messiah must be baptized or the Messiah will be baptized. But what Jesus is doing here is identifying with sinful man. That's the first reason that he's baptized. See, God, through John's preaching, is calling mankind to repent. He's calling people to be baptized as a symbol of that repentance. And through submitting to this baptism, Jesus is identifying with the same people that God's calling to repent. It's really part of the humiliation of Christ. Now, of course, Jesus did not need to be baptized because he didn't have any sin. But you know what? He didn't need to have human flesh either. But he did. He identified with us. He didn't need to have the weaknesses and limitations that come with being human. But he did. He didn't need to die on the cross because of his sin. He died on the cross for our sin. He identified with us. And in the same way, he identified with us in baptism. Remember, John's baptism was one of repentance where people said, God will judge me rightly because of my sin. I've offended a just and a holy and a righteous God. I'm judging myself. I'm justifying God. I need to change my life. I need to change my ways. That's what, that's what repentance is. And that's what these people were doing. And as they repented, then they were being baptized as a symbol of that. And when Jesus came for baptism, he identified with us. Again, even though he didn't deserve it, he didn't need it, he had no sin of his own, he was identifying with us in the same way that he identified with us on the cross. That punishment that was poured out on him should have been ours. But a second aspect of his baptism is one that we usually think of, and that's that Jesus set an example. And that's the easiest to understand, right? I mean, in being baptized, Jesus sanctified this act by doing it himself. And he showed us what his will in the matter is. It's kind of like the Lord's Supper. And I never really thought about this until, until this week, but do you realize Jesus didn't need to do the Lord's Supper? What's the purpose of it? It's to help us remember his body that was broken and his blood that was shed for us. Do you, do you really think that Jesus needed to celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember his broken body? No. He, he could remember that perfectly well. It, it happened to him. But he did it as an example. And when I read this, I'm reminded of, of a situation that happened with me and Jesse this week. We had done something. I don't remember what it was, but we had done something, and we both got our hands real dirty. And we came into the house, and I said, go wash your hands, soap and water. It's like I'm at school. Wash your hands, soap and water. I, it's, it's automatic. I, I so, always say soap and water, even though, yeah, I don't know why. Anyway, go wash your hands, soap and water. 
And I started going one direction. I'm going to wash my hands, but she didn't know it. And she said, and, and parents, you know the tone, right? The tone of, well, you're telling me to, you're getting, you're telling me to do something. What are you getting ready to do? And she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to wash my hands. And she said, oh, okay. And then she went and her, she washed her hands, no problem. Now, when I read this, I think of this situation because because I showed her what I wanted her to do. I wasn't just saying, you do this, I'm going to do something else. I showed her by example. And she was okay with it. And Jesus, when he, when he does this baptism, he's shown us. He doesn't just say, y'all need to be baptized. Great commission, right? Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, y'all be baptized, I'm going to do something else. He says, y'all be baptized and this is how I want you to do it. He set an example for us to follow that we might walk in his steps. And, and so... I just think it's really cool. There are two ordinances of the church. Baptism, Lord's Supper. Jesus did both of them. We get to do the same thing Jesus did. And I personally think that's that's pretty cool. So when Jesus was baptized, he identified with us. He gives us an example to follow. Another reason he was baptized, and this is more specific to his time period, was that this was the inaugural event that started his public ministry. That's a great big word, isn't it? Inaugural event. We think of a president maybe. This means that he, he, it was the beginning of his public ministry. Because up until this point, Jesus was about 30 years old. He had lived in Nazareth, presumably, his whole life in obscurity. Up to this point, Jesus hadn't really made any waves. He was probably working in Joseph's shop as a carpenter for 30 years. As a kid, he lived in subjection to his parents. But at baptism, it was the, he was opening the chapter, a new chapter of his life. Now, notice what happens at the end. Look again at verse, uh, at verse 17. Oh, oh sorry, verse, uh, verse 16, right at the end. After Jesus was baptized, it says, And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Jesus was anointed here with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not the first experience he's had with the Holy Spirit because the Bible tells us that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. But this is... This is a, a, a public way. Of, it was a special act that showed that the whole work that was going to be done through him was done through the Spirit of God. And in fact, did you know that Christ was not his name? That's a title. Christ means anointed one. Messiah in Hebrew means anointed one. Christ and Messiah, same word. One's in Greek, one's in Hebrew. At Jesus' baptism, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He started his work publicly as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Anointed One. And so here it is, his work is beginning officially as the Christ. It's also here, you'll notice in verse 17, that the Father declared Jesus to be both the Son of God and the prophesied suffering servant. You say, okay, well I can see Son of God, don't see anything about suffering servant. Well, look again at what it says. Now this is just kind of a side note. But uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't point this out. There are some people who say that the Trinity is not a scriptural doctrine, that because the word Trinity never appears in the Bible, it's not taught, it's not true. But here in the, in the baptism, we see all three members of the Trinity present, don't we? Jesus coming up out of the water, the Father speaking from heaven, the Spirit descending as a dove. All three members of the Trinity present and active at the same time. But anyway, it's easy to see, if you'll notice in verse 17, it's easy to see how God denotes him or points him out as the Son of God. He says very plainly, 
This is my beloved what? Son. Obvious. Plain. There are some people today who say Jesus is not God's son. But if God says he's a son, that should be a pretty good authority, right? I think it's that, that, that should settle it for anybody. And that's impressive, but there's a rich background to this imagery because in Psalm 2, and you might, I, I didn't put this on your bulletin, but you might jot down Psalm 2. Um, in Psalm 2, it's, it's a messianic psalm. It's an Old Testament prophecy of the coming Christ. And in this, in this psalm, this, it speaks of this messianic king who's the son of God. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. But he's also the suffering servant. Because if you'll notice in verse 17, it says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, what do I mean when I talk about a suffering servant? Well, in the book of Isaiah, and boy, I'm giving you a lot of stuff today, aren't I? It feels like I'm just, there's a lot out there. But this is a, a very full passage. In the book of Isaiah, uh, right around chapters 41 and 42, there begins to be a prophecy of a suffering servant. And the suffering servant, we find out later, actually talks about Christ. And it culminates, in my view, in chapter 53 that talks about uh, uh, we all like sheep have gone astray and he's laid the iniquity of us all on, on, on the suffering servant. And, uh, you know, he, even though he's, he's being abused and, and everything, he opens not his mouth and by his stripes we're healed. All this imagery we're familiar with comes from Isaiah 53. And it's actually, if, if you read the book of Acts, uh, Philip goes to talk to an Ethiopian eunuch up in the chariot. You remember, and he's reading. And Philip says, do you know, understand what you're reading? He says, I do. I, I don't really. I mean, is he talking about himself? He's talking about somebody else. And and Philip gets to get up there, and he gets, at, starting at Isaiah 53, starts to preach Jesus to him. Okay? Suffering servant. I don't know why I told, told you all that. But in, in Isaiah 42, verse 1, listen to this language. Behold my servant whom I, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. Sound familiar? I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So if you look back at verse 17 in our text, it says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Your Bible may actually say, In whom my soul delights. He is talking about Jesus being the suffering servant, the messianic king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. So at his baptism, Christ gains the testimony of the Father as well. Now we could go on, we could talk about how it upholds John's ministry, we talk about how he also gains John's uh, testimony. We're not going to delve into all that. What does this have to do with us today? Well, first thing is that baptism is a good thing. Jesus himself partook of baptism. Now, again, I've hammered this before, but I'm going to tell you very plainly, baptism does not save anybody. I was reading a commentary from a different theological perspective this week, and they made a jump from Jesus did it, therefore it saves you. No. Jesus did everything that was necessary for salvation, but the Bible says Jesus never baptized anybody. His disciples did. But it is an act of obedience for believers. See, Jesus showed us what he wanted done. And he also told us what he wanted done, the Great Commission, in, uh, in Matthew 28. Baptism is an act of obedience to Jesus himself, and it's a good thing. Now, I often don't speak just about baptism, but that's what the text is. So what's the application for us? If you've never been baptized, as a believer, you need to be baptized. Jesus did it. He commanded it. He set the example. 
it's it's an act of obedience, not going to get you in good with God, not going to uh, not going to get you to heaven, but it will keep you right with Him. And as I said before, we've got some baptisms coming up, and I'm tickled pink about them. It's a blessing to be able to baptize, even in cold water. It's a blessing to be able to baptize somebody. But you know what? Baptism isn't just for any old person. Baptism, scripturally, biblically, is for believers. It's for somebody who has put their faith in Christ, who has repented of their sins, and God has saved them. That's, that's what baptism is for. It identifies us with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. And if, if you've never accepted Christ, today's the day to do that. Repent. Believe. If you've never been baptized during the invitation, I'd invite you to come up, talk to me right after church. Come talk to me. But we need to be obedient. We say, well, if it doesn't keep me from heaven, what's the big deal? Personally, I'm, I'm concerned about more than just getting to heaven. I want to be, I want to be right with God today, don't you? And, and so, so whatever it is, maybe it's not baptism. Maybe there's something in your life that, that you know you need to change. You know, take care of that too.